Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Williams Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? What's going on, man? Happy Sunday. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I should sure. never say that. Just take that out. Take that nah. out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think hey, it's they day. get this on Tuesday. They get this on Tuesday thinking that we're doing it on a Tuesday. Like, nope. <laughs> it's like two or three days before we're actually recording. See, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, X that out for me, guys. I'm doing excellently. Oh, let, hold on. Let me get my stuff together. <laughs> Your Packers are playing tonight. Your Packers are playing today, so you're excited. I can already I'm tell. I'm super excited. I'm super excited, man. We're going to beat Tampa Bay. And, yeah. A lot of people have been getting on my nerves about this game, so I'm just waiting for <laughs> us to beat them and just get it over with. Get Super Bowl. <laughs> exactly. Back at it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a, a few topics to get, uh, get into today, dealing with, obviously, the conference championship previews, and then um, some topics dealing with uh, just some elite players in the NBA having um, a pretty um, efficient type of start. And then the second half, um, we'll do a review of Kill Bill Volume 1. But it started off with um, Patrick Mahomes being cleared to play for this um, AFC Championship game against the Bills and also just him coming back from um, the concussion uh, protocol and, and now um, being fully able, 100% ready to go. Um, this past Sunday, the Chiefs um, lost Mahomes to a concussion and were really just in a tight spot for possibly um, losing the, the division round to the Browns before their 22-17 win. Then the 13-yard uh, down scramble and the fourth down completion to Tyree Kill from um, Chad Henney, giving them a first down with just over a minute left and allowed them to run out the clock. But overall, like, what are your thoughts on, you know, how the Chiefs were able to withstand a big loss in Mahomes going out and just the fact that Andy Reid was super aggressive, you know, uh, going going for that fourth down. It really seemed as though they were going to let the clock r- run out. Uh, <laughs> Tony Romo thought they were going to let it run out too. He, he fooled everybody. And it just was a, a very, you know, tight win that a championship team even without their best player was able to pull out right so i didn't expect chad henny <laughs> <laughs> anything is possible <laughs> anything anything is possible I, I like that but he'd never played in the playoffs before so right. him coming in and, and and taking over for patrick mahomes was big and tony romo pointed that out and i was like he's right he's never played in a playoff playoffs game and then if you look at the stats he has more interceptions in his career than touchdowns that's a crazy hit that's the crazy stat i think it was 30 <laughs> interceptions to his 30 touchdowns and he's played in the league for like over 10 years so him coming in the game i wasn't too enthused for yeah, not, not a lot of word <laughs> no but you know what helped him? The running game helped. The running game helped, and him having that leadership and have that experience. He haven't been in the playoffs, but he has played in this this game. It's it's a recycled football game. It's the same thing over and over with same coverages, same plays. You make him switch up the plays and make it you know flamboyant, but it's still the same thing. So when you have a guy who's been in the league for multiple years, throwing his body around, sacrificing for the team. You're going to get that, and everybody's going to be behind. And I'm pretty sure before Patrick Mahomes went out, everybody was like, "All right, Henny, Henny, this is your this is your time to shine, bro. You're playing the playoffs game." So I, I I really like the poise that he had, and just the, the willingness to put everything on the line for his team. But I don't think Patrick Mahomes is completely healthy. I think he has a turf toe, is so yeah. his mobility is going to be it's going to be different, very different. It's going to be definitely different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and when you, we look at the Browns, like this was the type of game where obviously like they had a, a, a prime opportunity to, to steal a win, get to the AFC championship. Um, the running game was working for them very well. Um, there's there's so much that could have went differently for them. But when we look at the totality of this season, you know, they have 11 wins. They get to the divisional round. Um are right there against the defending champs to possibly steal a road win in, in a in a very right. tough playoff setting. Like, what are your overall thoughts on this ending of the season for Cleveland and just where they are going forward? Because the future is really bright for them, and obviously with what Kevin Stefanski has done, he has them going right. in a completely different direction. So, I, I I hate this for them because it's always the future looks bright. Yeah. Right? They draft these guys, they come in, and then the season, but not this season. And it started with Baker Mayfield. OBJ went down. Travis Jarvis Landry, excuse me, Jarvis Landry stepped up so big this year. He really solidified himself 
as a top-tier wide receiver and a top-tier leader. But Baker Mayfield is the difference. Normally, he averages like one or two interceptions a game. Crazy headline. He played so good the last four or five games. Nobody, Everybody had him written off when they lost a couple games, and I think it was like one and one and two, and then they just started took off and they started being consistent. And Baker started being consistent. The running game was working. Even, even when Nick Chubb was out and had Kareem Hunt, which was a big pickup, um, even after his, his quarrels outside of the NFL. But I think this team has an uh, upside. Even with OBJ out, they show they knew how. It, and then having a running game is so big for offense, especially for a quarterback who gets into a situation where he forces throws and it feels yeah. like he had to do everything to get the team back into back into the game. But when you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who both guys who could catch out the backfield, we did, he did drop two two three passes in that game. Talk about Nick Chubb's, but he's he's normally the guy who can catch out the backfield, run routes, make mismatches with linebackers and safeties. So they have complete upside. This game was a dead game. They could the defense could get off on third downs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. Um, even yeah. with the running game working. So, I mean, they do have a future. But I, I want it to be a complete story now instead of just yeah, not just Not just a, a, a partially done story, something that is exactly. actually a, a finished product. Exactly. We don't want the process. We want you guys – first time in the playoffs is, what, 2000, 2002 Dude. or something like that. So, Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, transitioning to, to just thoughts on Drew Brees' possible last game and the future of, of the Saints – um, this this past Sunday against the Bucks, they, they came up short um, by 10 at home. And Breeze is under contract for one more year, but declined to say whether he's retiring. And he's also, you know, the all-time leader in completions. And he went 19 of 34 for 134 yards, one touchdown and three interceptions. But c- kind of like, what were your thoughts on this being the possible end for a story career from Breeze? And also, what's their best option for QB ne- next season? Because, you know, Jameis Winston Ooh. comes in for that trick play. Taysom Hill was not in that game. And, and, it's it's either looking like Taysom Hill or, or or Winston for them. You know what? To start with Drew Brees, I don't think you want to end your career on that game. Nah. Three nah. interceptions, 134 yards, big game. You beat this team twice in the regular season. Long time friend, a lot riding on it, get you back to the to the championship and then possibly do the Super Bowl. I don't think you want to end your career on that. Even though he was doing his kisses and by I'm thinking his head's like you guys just don't know. I'm probably coming back. And if I was him, <laughs> I would come back. Even with the, the multiple injuries he had in the last two, three, the last two seasons, last two seasons, let's be specific. Right. Even with those injuries, I think you don't you don't leave on that note. You don't. I don't think I think with, it's different with Phillip Rivers. They had a good season. They just got yeah. beat in the playoffs. And he played a decent game. But for Drew Brees, three interceptions, man. I mean, it doesn't tarnish your legacy, but as a as a competitor and as a, uh, as a as a quarterback who's been in the game for this long, you don't want to end on that note. He probably will come back for that one-year deal, but he'll probably say, look, I want you to add taste of him more into the offense, even more than he already is, because the guy exactly. plays everything. Yeah. Punt return, kickoff return, special teams. Swiss Army knife. <laughs> exactly. I was joking with one of my friends. I was like, they're going to put him at safety here shortly, or linebacker. He's going to put him everywhere. Why like, not? Yeah, why not? The dude, guy does everything. But I don't think Jamie Winston is the future of the Saints. I think Taysom Hill, or they'll uh, draft another guy, another mm-hmm. true Drew Brees-like guy or a pocket passer that fits in the system. And then they'll use Taysom Hill just like they do with the Drew Brees. But... Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think Drew Brees is going to retire. I don't know. When he, when it ending on that note, just doesn't seem seem like the way he would want to go out. I mean, no. I, I just it wasn't like way. I think even if he had like lost to Green Bay in the NFC Championship, something like that, like where it was maybe maybe a closer game or, or to that effect, like it would possibly be a consideration. But for this, like this guy only having just one Super Bowl, and I know he wants to get to another at least one more appearance. It definitely feels as though just, and, that, and that's another thing, the amount of losses the Saints have had in the postseason where we felt as though they could go farther, like kind of also what are your thoughts on that? Because they've had some pretty tough playoff losses where almost yeah. every year it's, you know, the Minnesota uh, miracle, um, then losing to the Vikings yeah. last season. It's just, and the Rams as well in the NFC Championship, they've just had like a totality of a lot of uh, tough playoff losses, losses over the last few years. It's hard to get over that hump, man. Um, yeah. It's a totally different monster when you get into the playoffs. And um, it's hard to beat a team twice. And they did that. 
but it's extremely hard to beat a team three, three times. times. Yeah. Especially when they have them, they adjust. So it's just for the, the the past games they lost in the playoffs, man. It's it's a different monster. Those guys come out and just go bananas. Mm-hmm. And something, some days, some games are just not not your game. And they have you to a T. They know what you're going to run. They they know how to balance. You know, it's just it's different situations when it comes to them. They just could never get over the hump. And once again, they could never they can't get over the hump. Um, especially when they had a great season this year. Everything yeah. seemed like it was working. Season. Defense looked good. The running game, Alvin Kamara just was in an, a whole nother ram. So, I don't know, man. But you don't want to end that off. Not on this note. Man. Yeah. That's, that's what he's going to remember, man. My last game, I threw three interceptions. Forget yeah. that touchdown I threw. Three interceptions, but... Absolutely. Um, transition, transitioning to the AFC Championship, um, X-Factors and Key Storylines... Um, you know, the, the Bills, they're going to be in Kansas City um, the, um, today, and the Chiefs beat them earlier in the season by nine. But in B- Buffalo's last 12 games, you know, they're 11-1. Their offensive line has been excellent um, as their weapons are difficult to match up with. And one of the biggest approaches um, Sean McDermott has tried to instill in his team is limiting explosive plays. And with the Chiefs, obviously, that's going to be um, very crucial. But, but to you, like, what do you think will be some of the biggest X factors and storylines in this particular matchup as the Bills, they really are on the precipice of, you know, getting over that hump. Josh Allen has had an MVP caliber season, and this has kind of been deemed the team, the one team that could possibly dethrone Kansas City. I mean, Josh Allen is a definite storyline. Uh, last time the Bills was in the uh, AFC Championship, they beat Kansas City Chiefs. That's a storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, McDermott was a defensive coordinator for <laughs> Andy Reid. He fired him. That's a storyline. He's going against his old boss, the old versus. It's so many storylines yeah, that you can choose from. But the, the biggest one is, is Patrick Mahomes completely healthy? And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things in his repertoire that Patrick Mahomes does is his mobility to extend plays. If right. you have a turf toe, you cannot extend plays. His mobility is going to be limited. They're going to blitz him more. They're going to play a lot of man because they know he can't get out the pocket. If he does, we'll have contained. We'll send somebody to contain him. And he's not going to be able to move and do those things that he normally does. So now you're not at your best. Now our defense seems a little better because now we know what to throw at you to see. Because I expect them to blitz him more. I expect them to run a lot of man coverage, two, two, uh, man coverage, two men on top, the safeties over top, the deep zones, everybody manned up and probably blitz. It's going to be a lot of that for <laughs> against Patrick yeah. Brown, especially if they saw that. All week, if I'm the defensive coordinator, I'm like, okay, we got to get worried. If he's is he 100? Is he playing? We know he, we know he's playing. Yeah, for sure. How healthy is he? Oh, turf toe. Oh, got it. Okay, this is what we're gonna do, guys. So your whole game plan changes now. They have a game plan to get Patrick Mahomes because he's not completely healthy. That's the storyline because we know mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes extend plays like no other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you look at these two quarterbacks, I mean, these guys are the future. If, if Josh Allen wins, I mean, obviously his um, just upside goes up I- extremely high. If, if Mahomes wins, I mean, in four seasons, he's going to be in the Super Bowl two times. Yep. Like, who would you say kind of has more at stake? Like, if Josh Allen loses, like, we may think of him just as, you know, a pretty good quarterback. But even if Mahomes loses, like, this this is also a thing where he can miss out on two consecutive, a consecutive Super Bowl. Like, which one do you think maybe like, possibly has more at stake between these two young quarterbacks? Neither. You know okay. why? Because they're still young in their career. Yeah. Josh Allen is still breaking through. We know Josh Allen has so much potential. He's been showing that uh, last season, and it go well like they're playing. Now they're back. They added some new weapons, Steph, uh, Stephon Diggs. They have some guys on the defensive side. Now they're in the AFC Championship. And with Mahomes, he's a young guy. We didn't know. We didn't expect Mahomes to be this good coming out of Texas Tech. No one could say that. Because he was off and on at Texas Tech with, with his, his, his quarterback abilities. So he comes in, he's literally, they're trying to make him the next Tom Brady. Right. But I think he's surpassing Tom Brady because he's already in this point early in his career. It took Tom Brady sitting behind Blitzo to do this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for, I think, none of it, none of that's at stake. None of their career or their, their reputation is at stake for this they're game. They're so young. Think, yeah, <laughs> their careers are so young already. Yeah, I think it adds to it for sure. Because with Mahomes, we already know for the next 10 years, we're going to get a great quarterback. And we know injuries are part of that part of that system. 
but we know we get in a great quarterback. And Josh Allen, we're looking like, okay, I see why this guy, he should have went higher. Because there's yep. some other guys that was in that in that uh, quarterback draft room that was just like, hmm, what are they doing now? So, I mean, none of it tarnishes or nothing's at stake for these guys. Obviously, they want to win to get to the Super Bowl. Of course. This, isn't, this isn't like a Tom Brady-Rodgers matchup <laughs> where these guys no, are wondering how many more chances are going to get. <laughs> it's the future, though. Yeah. But it's it's interesting. You know, NFC, you got two old guys been in the league before. Super Bowl appearances, one is, you know what I mean? And then the other guys, young guys over there, it's the same thing. But Patrick Mahomes obviously won a Super Bowl last year. So yeah. you got the old guys on one side, young guys, the future of football on the other side. So, I mean. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be a good Sunday. Yeah, definitely. And and, and now, um, as we were just talking about with the NFC Championship, there's, um, you know, Tom, Tampa Bay had a, a dominant regular season win in week six. And, you know, earlier, earlier, uh, it was earlier in the season and, you know, they had a resounding, it was just a resounding 38 to 10 win. And both teams' offensive lines have been very elite. The Packers' weapons and, and Devontae Adams, um, uh, Marcus uh, Valdez-Skentlin and Alan Lazard will have chances for big plays. But both Brady and Rodgers being able to adjust so well will be a pivotal deciding factor in the deep threats that Tampa Bay has is important as well. Um, but kind of like, what are your initial thoughts of this matchup and even just how Green Bay has improved since that week six loss. Every Everybody goes back to the week six. It's week six. Early, yeah. Early in the – and then it was two interceptions by Aaron Rodgers. One was ill-advised throw, one off the hands of Devontae Adams. We just didn't play good football. Mm-hmm. And they had our number that day. But like I say, it ooh, have that number today. Like I say, it's hard to do a team, <laughs> but not in Green Bay. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Google, well, it's, it's hard to beat a team twice, especially in Green Bay, in the frozen tundra. And every time Tom Brady comes to the frozen tundra, he loses. Yeah, we're a different team. We have three running backs that are really, really good. Our Devontae Adams is killing it. Lazarus is killing it. I mean, Lazar is my Lazarus. I'm thinking about the biblical thing. <laughs> Risen Lazarus. Lazar <laughs> is killing it. We're on in our defense, Ladari- led by Zadarius Smith, uh, Preston Smith, uh, shoot, uh, Rashawn Gary. Our secondary, mm-hmm. we just added Traymond Williams, bro. It's it's going to be a good game, but Green Bay is going to go on top. It's lit. They cannot do anything with us. I'm telling you, especially we have a home field advantage. Come and on, that's the thing. It's I know Tampa Bay. They're figuring things out. Antonio Brown's not going to be in, but I just think the level that Rodgers is playing right now. It's not that I don't think Tampa Bay has a shot. I just think Rodgers is, is playing too, too well, too well for anybody to beat that team at home as of now. And it just seems as though they're so in sync and and with what they've been able to do. That Week Six loss was way too early to just consider that a, a confirmation Tampa Bay is going to have their number. But what they're doing right now and the momentum they have, is just, it, it, it seems a little bit too much to, to pick, pick against them. For sure. And even when Tom, we played them, Tom Brady didn't have the best game. The defense bailed them out. Our right. defense of line will get to Tom Brady. If you get to Tom Brady and create pressure, Tom Brady is going to crumble. We've seen that through periodically through his career. We're gonna to get yeah. to Tom Brady. We're gonna we're gonna make Tampa Bay's offensive line look like crap, and then AB's not even playing. So then you have Mike Evans, who's not a completely healthy. He's been playing good. He's not completely healthy, and then I think we we got somebody to uh, cover Godwin. Yeah, and then a running game. You're not gonna run on us. We're top no. ten in running. So. <laughs> Week six, man. And that's what Tampa Bay did primarily against New Orleans. They ran the ball a lot more, and that kind of helped them um, even even have a better type of performance against New Orleans than they did the the first two times. Exactly. And and, and Fournette and um, Jones, they had 60 yards apiece. Um, But I think think, uh, Fournette had 17 attempts. Jones had 13 attempts. Running game was working well enough. Tom Brady's not going to have big – Big passing numbers. Yeah, I think over, I think he had 200 yards against uh, the Saints. He didn't play a perfect game. If we right. stop the running game and we get to Tom Brady, your offense is non-existent. Yeah. And we're in those, yeah, those two factors are plausible because one, we have one of the best 
defensive fronts, and we average like four sacks a game. Like, I don't understand what people like get in that, bro. Like, we've been playing <laughs> great football. Like, okay. Yeah. But we will see. I mean, it's 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 the playoffs. Everybody plays different things, you know, but we adjust. We, I'm I'm biased, well, I tell you, you know I'm I feel biased. You. So just like <laughs> come on, come on, man. Come Your on, team is hosting the NFC championship. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time, too. Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and before you transition, when you look at, at at Tampa Bay, and even if they even if they do lose this game, with what Brady's been able to do getting this team to an NFC championship his first season. Um, after, you know, they were really just struggling to be a consistent playoff team. Um, is this something that, like, even though it's a very, like, impressive accomplishment, is this something that we probably should have expected? Or to you, was it even kind of, like, even more impressive that in his first season, <clears throat> in a pandemic type of year where the offseason was much different, he was still able to get this team to this point? I No, I, I think what it was, we, we had to adjust to to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think the Buccaneers had to adjust to being consistent because right. one game they'll, like they beat us and then next week they got blew out by the Saints. Mm-hmm. Like blew, like blown out. Blown like, out, yeah, 35. <laughs> yeah, they had three points and that came at the very, very, very end. Very, very end. When the credits were going off the end of the movie. Okay, score it was a deleted scene. It was added in that, that, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, but yeah, I think they had adjusted being consistent, and I think they still they still have that. I mean, the last probably uh, I would say I'll give them four games, and that's including the playoff playoffs game as well. They had to figure out how to be consistent, and their defense is playing great football, man. Mm-hmm. Their their front seven is really good. I like Antoine Winfield, a young guy. He comes down and hits you. He's smart. He's fast. The same guy who got hawked down by DK Metcalf, but that's okay because DK Metcalf is a freaking freak of nature. So, um, nah, man, I think they they really had to. We had to adjust to Tom Brady being in that uniform, and they had to adjust to being consistent enough to be at this point. And when your defense is playing defensive win championships, when defense is playing really really well, your offense don't have to do much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now transitioning to the NBA and and Paul George's um, hot shooting streak and just the importance of his play for the Clippers' uh, championship aspirations. Um, the Clippers are currently twelve and four, um, third in the West, and George is coming off um, a four year one hundred ninety million extension and is averaging twenty five point one points, five point seven rebounds, and one point seven steals per game uh, with career highs in field goal percentage fifty point eight and three point percentage as well as um, assists five point one. And his play has been able to balance out a difficult start for Kawhi, but kind of like, what are your thoughts on PG's current hot shooting streak and just the importance of him keeping it up? Because the last play and this, you know, current last playoff in the bubble, his shooting was not at, at the level it was supposed to be at. And we have seen him do this in the regular season, but what are kind of your thoughts on just him keeping it up for the postseason as that's going to be very crucial for them to get any farther than they did last year? Uh, I think. Why did I do the dramatic pause? <laughs> no, but no. I think when it comes to PG, we see him do this periodically in the regular season, and like you said, it matters most in the postseason. And he's—I don't even think he's the number two guy. To to be completely honest with you, I think mm-hmm. Ibaka is the number. No, okay, let me not disrespect PG <laughs> like that. But no, I think when it comes to PG, he has to be more consistent. Consistent, consistent. Not every game. Of course, you're not going to hit big shots. I mean, you've been he's been playing really, really well. But but when it yeah. comes to like picking the right shots and getting in the groove, I think it's extremely hard Shot for him selection. to do so. Yeah, it's extremely hard for PG to do that. And we've seen him like what I think Tyra Lu is making him making him be able to do things differently than Doc Rivers. Because Doc, he's not a set shooter or like a three-point shooter like that. He's a guy who puts the ball on the ground, puts the ball on the court, you know, in the hardwood, and create his own shot or drive. He's not the type of guy to just pull up for a three. Not even was with, with the Indiana Pacers when we really first saw the greatness of PG. Before he was PG twenty, PG thirteen, he was number twenty-four, giving uh, <laughs> Miami fits. Yeah. But, um, but I like I like the way direction he's going. But I just want to be more consistent in his shot selection, in him like real and letting them and let the team let him be who he like his identity is instead of trying to make him 
the three point guy or the guy who's you know what I mean like just allow him to be go to his game because he has a step. A lot of guys will have a step, a step to create shots. The first step, boom, 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 to get past the finish. He has that. And he has finishing abilities. But sometimes the shot selection is iffy because I think they're trying to make him something he's not. But I think he's in a great groove right now. But it's the regular season. I want to see that in the postseason. Yeah. And I mean, even when you look at the teams like Utah's 12 and 4, the Lakers 13 and 4, 9 and 0 on the road, uh, is it to, to you like, is it still just seem as one of those things where the Lakers are kind of like in their own class of the West and the Clippers, they're just kind of like, still trying to inch up to that spot to like actually get validation. Cause it still feels as though the Lakers, their chemistry is extremely high. Yes. You know, LeBron had a big performance against Milwaukee and Giannis and they're just really kind of in a zone as the defending champs right now. It's, it's where those you get guys that just jail well and yeah. buy in and people want to buy in. People want to play with LeBron. People want to play with AD. Mm-hmm. They see how it really is. So when you have guys who are willing and open to do the necessary things to win, you're going to have that chemistry right off the back. But when you have guys who do load yeah, management absolutely. and are forced to be different type of players or not willing to be those players or are not capable of doing that, then it's going to be extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Extremely hard to, to have that chemistry. I think the Clippers are still trying to find that chemistry. Some of your best guys left. You got Mbaka coming in. Um, you still have Patrick Beverly. Um It's going to be a difficult transition for them. And I think, I mean, they're pretty good at 12 and 4. Right? Yeah. But I still thirteen think... and four. Oh, 13 and four. I thought they were twelve and four. The Clippers? Yeah. Clippers twelve and four, yeah. I thought you were talking about the LA other LA team. No, 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 no. no I, was, I was talking about, you know, PGS and Patrick Bailey yeah, yeah. and all those guys. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the Clippers. Uh Clippers are twelve and four. So they're doing yeah. pretty good. Third but in the West. Good third, record. Yeah, third in the West, which is not bad at all. But just for I don't know, man. It's just I'm I'm not confident. Still missing something. Still missing something. I'm still not sold. Chemistry. Yeah. It's just like when you watch the Lakers, it's like those guys have been playing for like 10 years together. Absolutely. Even with Schroeder coming over, and I'm like, yo, he's like that that's the piece. Like he's a he's a better Ray John Rondo. It's just everything just and then you have a guy, a leader. They don't have a leader. They're missing chemistry and a leader in the Clippers. Kawhi is yeah. not a leader. PG is definitely not a leader. And Bakken is definitely not a leader. Who's the leader over there? Patrick Beverly? No. No. <laughs> no. It's he's on the trading block. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even know he's going to be there in March. <laughs> um, but uh, transitioning to to Joel Embiid and just thoughts on his early dominance and how, and how um, confident you are he can um, stay consistent for, for Philly. Um, he started the season off with an extremely efficient start in averaging – 26.4 points and 11.3 rebounds. And um, whenever Philly had to do to him, he's delivered. He had 33 points and 40, 14 rebounds in their um, four-point win versus Detroit last night. Um, but Embiid has always kind of had that top-tier talent of modern big needs. But kind of like how confident are you can stay in the zone for Philly when it matters most because they've gotten off to an extremely good start, yeah. first in the East. And they're re- it's really looking like the, the team that they have, like they got shooters like Seth Curry, Danny Green, and – look to the team they had a couple of years ago um, when they had affected like Dario Saric, um, Robert Covington. This is, this is a, a similar team to the one they had two years ago. And it really looks as though Embiid is getting off to kind of like MVP level start. I love the pickups. Did, I think Danny Green was a definitely a good pickup. Seth yeah. Curry, definitely good pickup. We don't talk about him enough. The guy's good on front court and the back court. He's a, a, obviously he's a pristine shooter. But he's a he's great shot selection is what I love about Steph Curry and he's quiet. Yes. Everybody knows. Oh my, my my brother is the one of the biggest stars in NBA. You know what? I'm just gonna do me, and I love I love underdogs. So I I really like Steph Curry. Ben Simmons is playing. He's actually looking like a real point guard. I watched mm-hmm. the game the other day and I was like, yo, this okay, okay, he's getting Ben, it. okay, Ben. <laughs> But with Joel and B, and I like Tobias Harris. I love that pick when he, when they came from came over from I think it was what the Clippers. Yeah, for the Clippers. Came for the Clippers in that trade or whatever. Um, yeah. But Joel and B, man, now we we identify the guy. I mean, we talked about that. Who's the leader? Who's the guy? Right. For, for, Can he be uh, the guy? Exactly, and he's the guy. 
He's the guy now. And he's doing it consistently. So I can't say, oh, he's not, he's inconsistent. The guy's been putting up numbers. And then I think they've finally found an, an identity with who's the guy and how they play their play their offense. And then you add Danny Green, who's a pretty good three-point shooter, spot-up three-point shooter. You add Chef Curry, who was a good – that's what they were missing. This team is going to be a nightmare in the playoffs. This team is going to be a matchup nightmare what? in the playoffs. This is what they wanted when Markel Fultz was there. Then they yeah. had Ben Simmons there, all these guys. It was like, okay, we got shooters now. No, you don't. One guy shot us messed up, so they just threw him out the Westcom. But I think they have a good, a cohesive of shooters, three-point shooters, Seth Curry, Danny Green. Um, even Joel Embiid can shoot for the Westcom. Tobias Harris is not a big three-point shooter. He's more of a, a high-percentage guy. Um, he has great shot selection as well. But, uh, yeah, these guys are, yeah. They're jealous. Yeah. That's the process. Is that ninety eight percent? Is about to be one hundred percent. It's it's almost there. It's almost there. But I'm, I'm thinking, Joel and B's contract. When is that up? Because they just That's paid Ben Simmons. They just paid Ben Simmons. Let me see. He's. I think. I'm pretty sure he's got to be in the latter half of it since they just. Gave uh and beat a, uh gave Simmons a new one. So he signed a five year contract. How many years? When did he sign that? But anyway, yeah, it's interesting. They're gonna obviously they're gonna try to keep him, but will they have enough cap? So I think he probably has like two years left on his contract. Mm-hmm. So he should be good for the next two years. So the next two years is this the face of the East? Hmm. That's a that's With a really Celtics? With the Celtics over there too, with their guys. Then yeah, with, with Tatum and Brown, skill a very young duo. Like that's they they really are kind of close to being that that future face of the league. But Embiid, obviously, with with where he's at, and then Giannis signing that supermax extension, it's very interesting to just kind of like rank like who is the future the future face of these. Mm-hmm. Because Brooklyn has three three older guys. <laughs> Brooklyn has three older. Right. Guys. I mean, like they're they're obviously amazing players, but you know. Much older than than these younger guys much are. Much older guys, <laughs> much older guys. Yeah. Latter years of their <laughs> career, but they still top the top tier top tier guys in Brooklyn. Yeah, absolutely. And, and before we get to our review, obviously, um, Steph Steph Curry had a big night last night, um, passing Reggie Miller in career threes. Hit his two thousand five hundred sixty first NBA three pointer. Um, only has Ray Allen to catch, but, but did you have any thoughts on just kind of like how? Steph, I mean, I, the, the team, they're still figuring out kind of near the bottom of the West, but have you had any thoughts on just how Steph has kind of like returned back this year, still in his form, still kind of like playing at that top tier um, level at the point guard position? As a point, yeah. Um, how he revolutionized the game, man, with the three-point shooting. I mean, three-point shooting was, wasn't as big until, you know, Steph Curry came on the scene and started launching him. Um, and the fact that he's you know, he's still in his prime and he's passing these guys, you know. I mean, you know, errors were different. Three-point shooting was different. It was, it was, you know, it was vital, but it wasn't as vital because a lot of guys put the ball, on, you know, on the floor. I'm not saying Steph can't do that, but the game was, you know, different. But he revolutionized how the game was played with three-point shooting this in this era. So him being still top tier after multiple injuries, man, that's, that's only God itself. And just pure wanting to come back and being competitor and wanting to win. Now, leader, being a leader, I'm still waiting for him to see, can he lead lead this team without, you know, Klay Thompson, other smash, the Splash brother, and having Andrew Wiggins over there. And, you know, those young guys, I yeah, want him to see him lead. I've seen Draymond Green lead all the time. He's very vocal, you know, and maybe that's who the leader is over there. But I want to see how Steph Curry is, because that's another part of your game of being a great. Michael Jordan was a leader. Yeah, he had his ways, but he was definitely a leader. Everybody yeah, knew how, to, how to galvanize a team. Yeah, and then you look at LeBron, look at Kobe. Those guys had those has it. Kobe was more like Mike <laughs> in every yeah. way, in every, every way. way, identical. <clears throat> so it's just like you see how those, but they were guys were leaders. Mm-hmm. LeBron James, a leader. Dwayne Wade, a leader. You know what I mean? So I want to see Steph Curry that part of his game to be a leader for these guys. Um, 
But man, I mean, what a what a feat, man. Reggie Miller, you should sling that thing too, man. Yeah. You yeah, should sling that thing. It was, it was a good accomplishment for him. And I'm glad he's back. I'm just waiting for Clay Thompson to leave and go to another team. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> go to Utah. <laughs> no, not go, no, no, not no, go, no, to Utah. Not, no, go to Utah. Don't go to Utah anymore. No, that was like four years ago. No, not yeah. four years ago. You know what I mean. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with our Kill Bill Volume 1 review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Kill Bill Volume 1 review. To start with the overview, Kill Bill Volume 1 is a 2003 American martial arts film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Uma Thurman, Lucy Liu, Michael Madsen, Daryl Hannah, and Vivica A. Fox. This film is about the bride who swears revenge on a team of assassins and their leader, Bill, after they try to kill her and her unborn child. Her journey takes her to Tokyo, where she battles the Yakuza at a budget of $30 million and also brought in $180.9 million. It had an 85% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uma Thurman also received a Golden Globe Best Actress nomination in 2004. Um, and, and looking at this film, you know, T- Tarantino's had many great ones. This is considered one of his best, a top five Tarantino film. Kind of like what were your initial thoughts of this film as it was um, just so effortless, effortlessly brilliant as the story of a distillation of the universe of martial arts um, movies was presented? I love the way it was... <laughs> Tarantino has he has a style that he shoots with all of his movies, and I can't think of the the name of it. But we learned this in um, film when I was in college, and he uses like specific cameras to get the the angles and the edge that he wants to his movies. And I think it's really strategic how he puts his how he, how he puts scenes together and he, in the the dialogue with 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 the scene. But he's more love scenery. Right. He loves black and white. He loves things that are different. I mean, I don't know. It's how Tarantino shoots his film. I just want to be on set one day just to like watch him shoot a movie. It's really fascinating. And then he's always go big, go big, go big, go big, go big. Mm -hmm. And then he's always bashed for the violence of his movies and whatever. But this film, it was like all gory, like blood just... (laughs) (laughs) For me, as a a consumer and a person who loves movies, I'm like, yo, this is everything, everything I want. Like everything right. I want in the movie. So like, I love how he shoots his movies. I love how the scenery is together. I love how just like in the different, I don't know, the storyline behind it is dope too. I mean, a person wanted revenge, wanted to get out the game and then she's killed and then she's in a cult. Like it's so much stuff like, yo. So I don't know. This There's story. always so much going on in his movies. There's always so much going on. And it For eventually sure. gets back to where the origin point was supposed to be. And then you, and like halfway through the movie, I'm like, I hope there's a sequel. There has to be a sequel. Has Where to is going to come out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and getting to our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, to me, this was a clear four star film as it was an absolutely, you know, just visually striking and also includes just some of the best action scenes um, we've seen in cinema, along with being uh, one of Tarantino's best, as we've already mentioned. Um, but to you, from, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Definitely a four. Definitely four stars from. I already talked about the senior and how everything was shot. From looking at Uma Thurman differently, I mean, we saw her in Pulp Fiction. We got a, a glimpse right. of her in Pulp Fiction. And this one, we get a, a American bad butt. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. get a woman's cat. Like she's like the like she's a woman's the, the star of the sh- star of the movie. Star of the show, yeah. And I'm like, yo, this is dope. And she plays his role down to the teeth, down to the sentiment, down to the just downright disgusting, just gritty person. <laughs> like she played this role too well. It was too convincing. Like she was really a hitman for an old dude that she fell in love with. Like he was like 70 years. Nah, he wasn't that old. Okay. <laughs> You're going way, way up. Go way up. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But yeah, I, I like to I love to see Uma Thurman like like in this light and have her first like real, real standout role. Yeah, absolutely. And interesting to um favorite character. Um for, for me it, it was Beatrix as she just as we've mentioned, an iconic character that has such a gripping performance and also is one of the best action heroes whose emotions and just strong sense of sympathy um are never shown as a weakness. Um but to you, kind of like who was your overall favorite character? Oh, that's tough. That's tough. It's a lot. I want to say Bill, but I don't want. I want to. You know what? I'm gonna say Oran. I'm gonna say Lucy Liu's character. Okay. She was really because she was a American, you know, American Asian, and she infiltrated, not infiltrated, but she was like the head 
of this whole thing. Like she was head of the whole like Yakuza's or whatever and the crazy 88s and stuff like that. And then um, the way she cut dude's head off. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. And she's like, I'm going to say it in English. Like, yo, that's crazy. I don't know. That yeah. was, that was t- I want to say Bill, but I'm, I'm going to give it to Oran. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, like with some of the characters that Tarantino had, has, has had, like to, to you, um, out of even the character you just mentioned or, or ran and, and even Beatrix, like, where do these characters, like, are these, do these characters rank high for you in terms of just some of your favorite Tarantino characters or kind of like, where is like, who are a couple of yours, like favorite that Tarantino has had in some of his like best films? Ooh, um, definitely, uh, Samuel Jackson's character. Yes. Jules. Um, Desperados, um, Antonio Bender's character, I forgot his name, the other Mariachi. Um, definitely Uma Th- uh, Beatrice Kiddo, Bill. Like, Bill was that, you know, I don't know, Bill was definitely a, a deep character. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, Django, Jamie Foxx character. Um, we still gotta do that one. My goodness, we gotta do that one. That one is coming, man. y'all. <laughs> but this movie, this is his top five best movie, I think. I, I don't sure. know if I said that before. No, we, we always talk about Martin Scorsese's films. Yeah. But I think this is a top five Tarantino film. Like, Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Both, we're going to put volume one and volume two together, but like this. So you would put film, both in. You would put both, both no, in. No, I just put them as one. Like, okay, combine one, yeah. both of them as one because he has some other great films. Yeah, he has some other great films. Um, once Upon a Time in Mexico, Desperados, um, Jackie Brown, I think he he did that one. Yes. Um, Pulp Fiction. Uh, geez. Um, the new one he just did with uh, DiCaprio. And oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood. Django was definitely one of probably top two, top three. And he's he's doing one more. He said he's just sticking to 10. He's doing, he's doing I don't know what that last film's going to look like, but he's just sticking with 10. And he said with so many other movies, too. Yeah, but he had to like you know being the 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 main director or executive director or the, even the writer because he writes all his all his movies. Mm-hmm. So and Reservoir Dogs. Do we do we mention Reservoir Dogs? Reservoir Dogs is another classic. Reservoir Dogs. Well. No, 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 no. We did. I think he uh, did. He help do Shutter's Island. Yes, he helped. He helped with, with that one too. Yeah, but we, we won't put that in his ten films. Like his like main films that we're not going to steal from, we're not going to steal from Scorsese can't do that yeah but <laughs> I mean uh, Shutter Island was dope but no 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 um, yeah these characters definitely I mean Beatrice Kiddo bro like she's going to it's yeah these characters definitely are up there like on his like character creation and development of his characters yeah they're definitely up there absolutely and, and now getting to most memorable scenes um, at uh, Hello Vernita where the bride says hello to an old friend uh, your mother had it coming. The bride's revenge on Bernita is witnessed by her young daughter. Um, Oren's revenge, where Oren takes um, bloody revenge for her parents' murders. Uh, the bride arrives where um, she arrives at the house of blue leaves and confronts Oren. Um, is she and then defeating Johnny Moe, where the bride faces off against the leader of the crazy 88s. Um, there's a lot of just classic scenes filled in this one. But to you, kind of like what was like one of your top ones? Top one was crazy 88 scene. Her killing yes. Oren in the uh, Westcom, her cutting up, cutting off the arm, and how bloody it got. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. she would have oh, died. Yeah. All that blood coming yeah. out. She would have been, been out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? But it's like, and the, one of the good scenes was when um, everybody knew Bill, right? Yeah. As soon as she, she said that name to, um, I think it's, um, I forgot the guy's name who does the sword. He's like, I promise I'll never do swords again, whatever, whatever. And then she mentioned his name, how much weight his name has. And she mentioned who she was. She was like, oh, I got to make a sword for her. That was a dope scene. Yeah, very you know dope what scene. I mean? um, and another good scene, hmm, I think when he showed up at the wedding. I don't, did they show that in volume one or volume two? I think that may have been in volume two. Was it? Oh yeah, that was that was the first yeah. scene of volume two. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. I'm, I'm skipping ahead and going to the cold. <laughs> Give movie. us a different movie, <laughs> right? But no, those were definitely dope scenes. Definitely dope scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to most memorable quotes, um, I had revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, when I arrive at my destination, I'm gonna kill Bill. That woman deserves her revenge. It was not my intention to do this in front of you. Before this tale of bloody revenge reaches its climax, I'm gonna ask you some questions. Revenge is never a straight line. And finally, we have unfinished business. 
Um, to you, kind of like what was like one of your most memorable quotes for this particular film? When she was uh, <laughs> when she was fighting Copperhead, and uh, she was like, "So I'm so it's a, a little late for apology, huh?" She was like, "You suppose you suppose correctly." She said, "Look, B, I need to know if you're going to start any more crap around my baby girl." And then she tried to blow his head off, and then she dies in front of her daughter, and then she looks at the daughter, was like, "I know you're going to come for me, or whatever." You get older, so like that was just like a good yeah. scene. I don't know. They put that in there for a reason to like get suspense for the audience to be like, is it going to be like a spinoff or something? But we know it's not going to be a spinoff. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Years. Right. But I think that was a little playful thing for Tarantino to be like, oh, it's going to be a spinoff. Wet, wet the appetite. <laughs> right. So just like the revenge she's trying to get um, and then the little girl maybe get the revenge. So it's always, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, like how it was a mashup of just almost every genre you can insert into one film and just the tone and style and, and the dialogue that is always so surgical in Tarantino films was um, executed extremely well. Um, to you, kind of like what did you like the, um, the most about this particular storyline? Yeah, the revenge, mm. how she got the revenge one by one. It was like a strategic revenge and she knew what channels to go into to be able, like it was like, it was a traditional revenge. Yeah. One by one, she knew like how, how she had to do it. She had to go get the sword. Like it was like different instances of tradition. It was tradition all throughout this film. What is it with the Yakuza's or was it with like, you know, oh, I'm not going to kill you in front of your daughter. And then you pulled that move. So I got to kill you in front of your daughter. Like it was so much tradition in here and a lot of revenge and a lot of killing. Yeesh. Sheesh. Even at the last scene yeah. when they were going against Oren and um, the bride, I won't call it Beatrice Keto in this because she we didn't get that name until the second movie. But um, even how they did in the sand, I mean, in the, in the snow, it was more traditional. Sword, sword, standing one up, running at each other. Like it was just like a tradition type of film. But yeah, it was yeah, it was it was definitely a good film, man. Sheesh. Absolutely. But thinking about where the, the film kind of like began, it was a 2003 film, Jackie Brown was in 1997, Tarantino takes a, a six year break in between. And some people are skeptical about if he could put together another great film, taking that much time off, but he was still able to put together a masterpiece. Um, kind of like, what were your thoughts on just him taking so much time before that film? Because it seems like when you have to do a film like this, you have to not really rush into it from another film. And he was able to, even through a six-year gap, put together something that was still considered one of his best works? I think definitely he had to take his time with this one just because, I mean, it's almost a two-hour film, and I'm pretty sure he shot more, more hours or more film than that and try to condense it down to as much as possible. So when you have this big of a film and there's different different moving parts, different, um, um, different origins, different traditions... Uh, different uh, scenery, different countries. You have to be strategic and really think about where are you going to shoot these places at? Um, who's going to be the actors? Who can we get? I'm pretty sure Uma Thurman wasn't the first first actress he was looking at to be able to play this role. He probably right. had somebody else. So it, it takes a lot to bring this type of film together because a lot of people probably passed on it. Like, okay, is doing revenge, okay, it's a lot of blood. Like, I don't like your films because you promote violence, a lot of violence, because I've seen a bunch of interviews where he was getting bashed because of his violence or whatever. But when you when you have this type of film, you have to take your time with it. Six years is a long time. That's He took it, definitely took his time. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, definitely. But it turned out <laughs> so great. Like, it was well-received by audiences. So I'm asking you this question, well, it's in, what did Rotten Tomatoes give it? Please note. 85%. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Solid. I'll solid rating. That's a solid rating. <laughs> I'll take 85%. I know it's a, a collaboration from multiple reviews and put together. So 85% is solid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting to our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? Um, I definitely think it will, as this is, as we've said countless times this um, episode, it's an exceptional revenge action thriller. And um the memorable performance from Uma Thurman as just a top five character of Tarantino's has mm -hmm. just really lived on and aged well. Um, so you kind of like even another decade, what do you think will still make this watch and a watchable and intriguing film? Ooh, oh man. I think the plot, the plot of it yeah. all, 
and that it has two sequels. I mean, not two sequels, but it has a sequel. A sequel, yeah. And the sequel is it even better than the first one? And the I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, you, you, you like the second one better? Yes, for sure. Okay. I think it gave us more of why this is happening. The background yeah. story. Yeah, the background. This one, we was, was rushed into it from, from yeah. the jump from this. And I'm pretty sure he did it on purpose. I think he had in mind, well, this has to be. That's why we probably took six years. He was like, do I want to condense everything in one film or do we want to come back and write a, have split it up and just do two films? And that was perfect because you can condense all that in one film, like volume two and volume one together in two, one film. That would have been jumbled. Everything would have been rushed. It would not have looked good. So I'm so glad. But I like volume two because of the backstory and we get more of Bill. It's called yeah, Kill exactly. Bill. Who is Bill? Okay, he's this. We want to find more about more about Bill. <laughs> exactly. We want to find out how Uma Thurman got her skill. I mean, Uma, well, Beatrice Kiddo, the bride, got her skills. Why did she want to get out? Who did she get pregnant by? Like, it's different. Like, I want to know all that stuff. So they gave it to us in volume two. I was like, oh, yeah. that's what. And then we still had Killing. We still had great action in that film. So I think it superseded the first film, which is really rare to do. That's tough. That's tough. Really not rare. a lot of sequels have been able to do that. No, not at all. And the first one, I think, and in my opinion, who did that was Home Alone. <laughs> Home Alone <laughs> 2 was way better than the first. Home Alone 2 was freaking fantastic. Lost in New- you got Lost in New York over the original? Yes. I mean, it was uh, the first one was funny, but you see the two guys still. They came yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. The added then, element. And then the added element, he wasn't at home. He was in a whole different, like, Yeah, city. he works a different ballgame. Exactly. <laughs> and then he befriended a bird lady. Come on, the bird lady? Come on. Can't be, you can't stop that. Yeah. You can't stop that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, the first film, the, the storyline, just, I don't know, man. And then now it has a sequel. And then mm-hmm. the sequel is better than the first one. And you're going to get all the answers, like, all the questions was answered. From a, yes. like they didn't leave too many like underlining, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, what what happened there? Or what what if this was happening? You know what I mean? And in 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 the yeah. way I well, I'm talking about the two. Let me get off this because I'm talking about volume two. Which one volume one here? Well, We're gonna get to volume two, guys, very soon. Because Savon wants to do that. <laughs> I'm just I don't know, because both films just like they coincide together. I mean, it's it's it was well written, well thought out, well thought out, man. Yes, very well thought out. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Wendell Burns, and I'm kind of part of Save On Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.